Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. It's a tough economy, and that means things are on sale, including perhaps your attorney. We're going to talk today about alternative strategies in today's economy for lowering your legal bill. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Feeling out gunned when dueling through your loan mod negotiations with your lender? Discover the underwater borrower's secret weapon and how you can make your loan modification your lender's idea. Get the special report by consumer advocate Martin Andelman. Send your request to analyze this at realestateguysradio.com. Don't go into your loan mod battle unarmed. Get the free report. Send your email to analyze this at realestateguysradio.com or visit the special reports page under resources at realestateguysradio.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks for tuning in to the program. Let's meet our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, maybe some people haven't met you yet. It's only been years, but, uh, you know, this could be their first time listening. I've been keeping the seat warm for uh, six years now. There you go. Well, happy anniversary. Uh, we've got a great topic for you today. We're going to talk about uh, paying money for one of the things you don't like to. That's an attorney. But we firmly believe that uh, a great attorney is an ounce of prevention instead of a pound of gold. And and uh, there's lots of uh, reason today, as the economy has changed, that uh, people are getting into uh, litigation and disputes and so forth. And yet it doesn't mean necessarily that you're just going to have an open-ended legal bill. So uh, we're excited about today's show. You know, the, the whole lawyering thing is so complex because so many people just think something went sideways and therefore I'm going to go sue somebody and become a millionaire. And it's more of a profit-seeking, opportunistic, windfall type thing. And uh, you don't you don't want to use a lawyer in that way. That's really not what using a lawyer is all about. A lawyer is somebody who's going to help keep you out of the courtroom, who's going to try to help keep you out of trouble, who's going to help you anticipate problems. And yet there's going to be certain times where somebody's done something wrong and, and you really need to uh, exert more leverage than really any other form of uh, negotiation can exert. And that's when a lawyer can really be a litigator, somebody who is potentially could take someone to court is really going to be of a good use to you. Right. So there's two basic uh, ways that we view as real estate investors uh, attorneys. And one is the preventive side to help keep you out of the problems and look over your agreements and make sure that they've vetted the risk for you and all of that. And then, of course, what happens when there is trouble because real estate comes with hair on it and you're going to have property issues and you're going to have party issues. And you always want to have a great attorney to uh, help you out there. So uh, speaking of great attorneys, last week on the show, uh, we talked uh, about uh, the new changes to the accredited investor uh, statute. And we credited uh, attorney Jeff Lerman for bringing that to our attention. And we thought, well, we talked about him. Let's bring him into the studio. Let's welcome back uh, our good friend, Jeff Lerman. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, we're good. How are you? Terrific. Great to have you uh, with us. It's been a little while, and uh, this is uh, an interesting thing, as we always like to to see what, you know, you're, you're a guy that helps uh, real estate investors. In fact, that's kind of your primary uh, area and, and uh, has been uh, for years, and the times have changed, and people are, are in trouble these days. Yeah, there's no question that although the economy has changed and it's more challenging, people's problems are still there and they need to get those problems solved. Whether you need a lawyer to help you with the transaction or with trying to enforce your remedy or your claim, you still need a lawyer. And so what we're going to talk about today, which I think is just so timely right now, are ways that you can structure your deal with the lawyer so that you can afford, you can still afford top quality representation and uh, come up with some creative ways to fit it within your budget. You know, typical scenario, a person either gets sued or they find themselves uh, the victim of something and they want to bring an attorney in and they go in and they pitch their case to the attorney and the attorney says, great, that sounds fabulous. We're going to get those guys. Uh, just fill out this form and uh, write me a big old check as a retainer. And that is is certainly a valid way to conduct the law practice. But for some people, they're not sure that they want to be in that situation. So I think what we want to focus on today is everyone knows how that, how that works. But uh, you hear people talk about contingency case. Certainly in personal injury cases, that's a big way that the attorneys get paid, right, For on a contingency basis? Absolutely. So is that possible in a business matter? Yeah, absolutely. It's possible. Um, and I think the uh, case, which is probably a good springboard for the discussion, is one that everybody has heard of, but it's been a while, it's been a few years, but let's talk about it because I think it brings up a lot of the points we want to hit on. 
And that is a number of years ago, we had this dispute with the Barry Bonds baseball. Oh, right. Yeah. Where the guy, you know, one guy catches it in the stands and then there's a pile on and then, you know, another guy ends up with it and they end up, of course, in court and fighting over who gets to keep the ball. When I read the article on this, the uh, ultimately what happened, what people might remember, is that the judge ordered in his uh, Solomaic wisdom was that the ball should get sold, and then they should split the proceeds 50-50. Well, that, I mean, that's what takes weeks and weeks exactly. of discovery and all, <laughs> yeah. all yeah. kinds of things yeah. to figure out the facts of the case to come up with 50-50. Wow. Way too common sense. Yeah. Anyway, so when I read the story, what struck me as, you know, we all read uh, certain things through your own filter, your own prism. I was intrigued by the legal aspect of it because what was interesting was the numbers involved and, and the fact that you had, uh, the ball was ultimately sold for about $450,000. And so each side got to keep approximately a couple hundred thousand, two twenty-five, whatever it was. And, uh, but what the story said is that one of the guys uh, who was a litigant in the case, he hired his lawyer on an hourly basis. And that guy, his lawyer was actually, had run up a bill of about a half a million dollars. And so that lawyer was now suing his client for the difference between that 225, whatever he netted from the sale of the ball and the $500,000 legal bill. And that was the next story that came out of that. The other guy- Now, uh, I know the other guy we're gonna go, but before we do that, how often is this the case that the attorney's bills are more than the actual settlement of a case? Is that, I mean, is that 10% of the time? Is that half the time? I have not ever seen any studies done of that, but it is one of the things that we all, and when I say we all, I'm talking about the client and the lawyer, have to be mindful of because the one thing that uh, I as a lawyer really want to avoid whenever possible is getting to the point where at the tail end of the dispute resolution process, whether it's mediation or arbitration or court, that it all it, it becomes all about the fees. And now we get the client in a position where the client is saying, gee, at this point, I would just be grateful if I got enough money to cover my fees. Well, right. you know, the mindset, big picture here, the mindset that I always counsel my clients because they come in and it's all about principle. But what I try to do is pull them off that and say, look, you got to think about it. I, I get the fact that you're upset and I get the principle. But as much as you feel it's all about that, what you have to view this next phase as is another investment. It's an investment of additional money in legal fees. And what you have to really try to evaluate, and I'll help you do that, is whether it is going to be a good, a good potential return on that investment. And unless you can... Uh, can, can, as the client, really try to uh, analyze it that sort of cold, uh, with that sort of clear-eyed, yeah. business-like approach, then I think you are going, as the client, to be, uh, unfortunately, find yourself in a situation where you could be at the end of the game realizing that it is all about just trying to get even. Which... That guy wishes he never caught that stinking ball. <laughs> yeah, I bet. All right, so the, the one guy <laughs> hires the attorney by the hour and his fees are more than his half of the ball. Now, what about the other guy? And the other guy, he hired his lawyer on contingency. And so you got what, what struck me about the case, it was just such a classic case for this topic, is that two guys exact same facts, exact same case, they walk away with the exact same gross dollars, but one guy ends up owing somebody else uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars more than the other guy. The other guy on contingency ends up walking away with you know six figures in his pocket. The other guy ends up owning six figures. The only difference between the two guys is the fee arrangement that they had negotiated with their lawyer. All right, so uh, let's talk about this contingency idea so we don't leave anybody behind. Uh, what, what is the basic premise behind a contingency agreement with your attorney? So everybody probably is familiar with it, but yeah, we don't want to leave anybody behind at the starting gate. It's essentially, a, uh, instead of an hourly arrangement, uh, negotiating for payment as a percentage of co- recovery. So in other words, you don't pay anything unless the lawyer actually recovers money for you. And you know, it, it, it's historical and traditional context is in personal injury where it could be a car accident or it could be we've all seen the commercials on tv you know for people for asbestos or mesothelioma or whatever whatever happens to be the lawyers are always out there trolling for 
for clients who they can do this with. And you won't pay a dime unless I recover. So otherwise known as the late night TV pitch. Yeah, and, okay. and actually, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, that's right. you know, it, it, it plays an extremely valuable role for the people otherwise couldn't afford like representation. If you're the client, right? Part of part of it's better. Part of something's better than nothing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, uh, but there's I think a, a tendency in the mind of the consumer to either not understand uh, the full dimension of it or maybe misunderstand. Uh, how potentially many moving parts there can be. So, for example, you know, some of the things people need to know is um, typically in contingency deals, there can be and usually is a different percentage depend a d- different percentage recovery depending on the stage of the litigation. The if all, if all it takes is a uh, demand letter or mediation, a the of phone per- calls, yeah, yeah, the percentage that the uh, lawyer gets and the percentage that you get is going to be different than if you t- if the lawyer has to take it all the way through trial. So uh, that is one of the issues. And um, now, what kind of range are we talking about? I've heard people say, you know, it's half, it's a third, and it's going to vary depending on the negotiation. But what's the what's the range? You know, g- generally, if it goes all the way through trial, looking at anywhere from about a third to a half, depending on to the different factors, uh, to the lawyer, right? Yeah, and so okay. anywhere from two-thirds to a half going to the client. Okay. Great. And uh, it really is negotiable based on a, a whole set of, of metrics. One, one is the, the merits of the case, I would imagine, and how much time you figure it's going to take and, and how maybe how committed the person is. What else, uh, from the attorney's point of view, what is it that you're looking at if, if someone walks into your office with a case, when does it make sense for someone to, to go with, or at least to bring up the idea or for you to bring up the idea of a contingency case? Yeah. And by the way, I also want to mention something since uh, I know that People are listening to you all over the country. Uh, every state is going to have its own unique professional rules of conduct that govern what uh, a lawyer can and can't do in this particular area of contingency agreements. So wherever you have, we're talking about California law here, and it, if anybody listening outside California has an interest in pursuing this, they might want to spend some time going to the, lo- uh, the State Bar Association website and doing some uh, online research on that. But you know, some of the things that we look at uh, is something, first of all, I call the pot of gold factor, which is from a lawyer's standpoint, what we do is we, we, we look at what the potential upside is. If you Robert, come to me and ask me to spec out my resources, my limited resources of time, money, and effort on your case for a claim that is potentially worth $25,000, I'm going to tell you you're probably wasting your time. Right. So what we're looking for, usually because of the high price of litigation these days here in California, it's very difficult, very broadly speaking, to get a case all the way through trial for under $100,000. And that's just the reality. Now, there are some cases that are, you know, collection cases that might be less and some that can be quite a bit more. But if that is sort of a generic uh, benchmark that we're looking to hit, and if the lawyer is only going to get uh, a third or uh, 40% of the ultimate recovery, basically doing the math, Russ, uh, you have to end up with, you know, somewhere with a potential recovery, realistic recovery, somewhere in the three to four hundred thousand dollar range, to really get a uh, really good lawyer's interest in that discussion to get started. Well, and I think that works both ways uh, as well. In that, uh, someone who's looking at a case of that size has got probably bigger fees if they're going hourly and going contingency might make sense. Our guest today is attorney Jeff Lerman. He's licensed to practice in California, uh, but if you're listening elsewhere just apply these uh, ideas that he shares with you uh, in your own jurisdiction and we come back we'll find out more about not only contingency but some alternative ways you might work with your attorney. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host Robert Helms. You're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Russell Gray. I say do the math and the math will tell you what to do. Tony Robbins says success leaves clues. Put those together and you have Paradigm Life. Let Paradigm Life show you how and why wealthy individuals and multi-billion dollar companies use life insurance to grow and protect their assets. You'll be amazed. For a free report, send an email to life at realestateguysradio.com or visit beyourbank.com. 
Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program heard every weekend on this fine radio station and all the time at realestateguysradio.com. You can also uh, listen to a show if you missed, like last week's show, uh, where we talked about the new definition of a credit investor, thanks to uh, Jeff's input there. If you missed that show, you can get it right on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Uh, we're talking today with uh, Jeff about uh, this uh, ability to work with your attorney in, in maybe an unconventional way. Instead of just paying per hour, what uh, a contingency does, and we'll, we'll cover some other hybrid methodologies uh, before we're done. But what a contingency does is it allows you to get a good lawyer, a top quality lawyer, because a lot of the lawyers that are going to work on a contingency basis uh, are, are going to be your, your better lawyers. Uh, and, and also, it really makes sure that the attorney is behind the case, right? Someone comes into your office, Jeff, and they have a case. How you evaluate it, if you're going to consider taking on a contingency, might you would certainly be thinking about what the merits are of, of the case and how strongly you feel about it. Sure. It is one of the things that I do with any client that comes into me with a potential case is to really take, as we started touching on in, in the last segment, the uh, a very pragmatic business-like approach to the litigation process. Often the voice of reason when you have emotional parties, yes. Right. So I really try to make sure that we walk the client through not only the cost up front, but also the likelihood or the risks involved in ultimately collecting on the deal. If at some point the client says, well, would you be willing to take it on contingency, then typically that wouldn't change any of the discussion that went before that in terms of, well, here are the risks and here are the potential benefits and all that. But I think it is a good test for the consumer of perhaps the the strength of the case to ask the lawyer that because if the lawyer doesn't, quote, believe in the case enough to be willing to to take it on contingency, it would be interesting to hear from that lawyer the reasons why not. Because maybe, I'm not saying all the time, but I think uh, maybe the reasons that the lawyer would not be willing to take it on contingency may lead to some to a discussion of maybe some additional risks that had not yet been discussed. So I think this is an interesting discussion for you as the consumer to have with your lawyer, if for no other reason than to um, really get that additional understanding of the risks involved in your case. Yeah, good point. Now, let's walk through what some of those risks might be. If I'm uh, looking at going down this road and, and you're looking at taking my case, what are the things that you're looking at to see whether or not it makes sense? Okay. So we talked in, in the last segment about the pot of gold factor. And by the way, on that one, what you want to make sure, what I want to make sure that the client uh, is not factoring in, which clients, unfortunately, for this process frequently do, is they come in the office a lot of times and they think the case is worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars more because they think they've got this great punitive damage claim or emotional distress claim. And we, do, we typically don't factor those into the, the, the analysis at all because they are so difficult, such long shots to get. Well, not on TV, but in the real world. That's you don't right. see that as often as people would want to think. Exactly. So the, after we get past the pot of gold factor, then the next thing we look at is how clear is liability and that's really a two-pronged analysis first of all based on the facts you know it's one thing in the going back to the pi example it's one thing if somebody if you got rear-ended by somebody their liability is typically uh, pretty clear in a business case it's uh, not it's rarely that clear although to give an example of a case where that is clear uh, i'm handling a case right now where we it's a contract case where the other side in the case has actually uh, had admitted in writing before the case even got into my hands that they were in breach contract and they were delinquent. And the question really was, okay, now what? And so in that situation, that was a, that was a case where liability was clear. It's rare that that happens. Usually there's some sort of contract dispute. So you want, you want to look at the facts of the case to evaluate how clear is liability or how much of a risk factor that is. Second, you want to look at the law involved because the nature of the law is going to drive the liability issue. And so in law, there's a few things that we look at typically. Is the current law, is it established? Is it clear? Is there a split of authority in the courts, which is not that unusual? Is this an area that's relatively new or uh, evolving? Or is it volatile? Has the law, there, there are issues where the law can flip-flop back and forth, and it has. Well, now, when you say uh, the split idea, is that when there might be case law that has been in similar situations where they were decided different ways? Yeah. yeah okay. they, I, it's frustrating to everybody, the, the 
client and the lawyer, but a lot of times, even in California, you could have this appellate court decides black and the and the other court, same issue, similar facts, decides white. And you've got a split of authority that, you know, that you as a lawyer is just a reality that you have to deal with. Or decided one way, and then by the time you get to uh, this stage, then uh, the appellate court has reversed the decision. And that could happen. So. Uh, or is this a case of first impression, which happens, uh, it's not that all that uncommon, where the issue is such that you say, look, you know, we don't really have any any reliable indication as to how a court's eventually going to rule. So that's something that we as the lawyers will, will take a look at and is trying to evaluate what kind of speed bumps we're going to be uh, dealing with between us and the uh, ultimate recovery. Okay, so you've looked at what the uh, kind of the legal issues are, where the law is, where you see the liability, but then I would think there'd also be the reality check factor of who's the other party and what's their ability. Yeah, and who are the other parties? Uh, you know, one of the things, there are two reasons why this whole c- contingency structure sprang up and has proliferated so much in the PI context is because in the PI context, the two things from a plaintiff's lawyer standpoint that are usually pretty favorable is, uh, one, there's usually an insurance company involved on the other side, so the cost, the, the risk of collecting is pretty minimal. You know, if you get a judgment, it's, it's not a question of whether you'll collect, it's just how much you will collect. And right. so that's, that's a big part of a lot, the, the vast, you know, 90 plus percent of all, of everything a PI lawyer does is negotiate the settlement. They, so obvious case, you're rear-ended, it's clear who's at fault, right. police report says, and they're insured. Right. You're not really concerned about, am I going to get something at much? So that's the other thing. Is it, what, what, the two things in PI that make contingency so popular is one, uh, the chances of recovering are so high, and second, the liability is usually so clear. Yeah. Those two things are more volatile or more subject to risk in the business context. Doesn't mean you can't still do contingency, just means it is a little bit uh, takes a little bit more work on my part, not yours, up front to evaluate if this is a case that would be a good candidate for a, a contingency or one of the other alternatives we're going to be talking about. And then I, I would think that you've got to look and see, well, if let's say that, that you're successful as the attorney and, and it turns out that this other person just doesn't have the wherewithal that you're never going to collect anything on, that's got to be something you look at. Yeah. And so one of the things that we try to do up front every time, unless there's some reason it's so clear one way or the other, either positive or negative, you don't have to do it, is do an asset search. You know, and so you sometimes, not every time, but sometimes that can really provide a lot of incredibly valuable information on that particular point. Now, there's a couple of other factors that uh, are involved, I'm sure. A few weeks ago on the show, we had uh, a couple of gentlemen from a law firm uh, that represented Wesley Snipes in his uh, tax case. And uh, I know as we were talking before the show, uh, we were talking about how you might take a case because of uh, maybe the, the PR factor. Sure. Publicity is always a, a, a big part of the analysis, which is probably why going back to that Barry Bonds case, that one lawyer took it on, uh, probably the main reason that lawyer took that case on contingency. It was the publicity, um, although certainly, remember, back then, these guys, all sorts of crazy numbers are floating around that they could go for millions of dollars. Right. So, so you know, these lawyers are probably uh, rolling the dice to that. Gee, if I get, you know, if I can get a piece of that million dollar pie, that would, it's worth it. But the publicity, I mean, you mentioned Wesley Snipes' lawyer, uh, Gloria Allred, who actually happens to be a friend. She is the queen of publicity when it comes to uh, taking on clients who probably aren't paying her much, if anything. But and, and to take nothing away from Gloria, she in her heart, I, I know, believes in the value of the, you know, she, she's a big proponent of women's rights, and that's a lot of what she does herself, and uh, I think Laura would, uh, the starting point for her is if she does not believe in the case, she's not going to take it. Of course. Having said that, she's got such a great uh, media sense that, you know, she knows what cases will play well in the in the media, and, you know, God bless her. You know, you know that's, that's something that lawyers will take into consideration. Well, all things being equal, if the attorney sees that there's an ability for them to get some exposure, uh, they'll do that. What other uh, considerations are there? Right. And by the way, the other the other good example of that really is, you know, guys like Robert Shapiro and the OJ case. I mean, you know, these guys, they're doing all for the publicity. Expense. We need to, I as the lawyer, need to take a look at how much it's go, I think it's going to cost me if I'm going to, if you're asking me to spec out my, again, limited resources, time, money, and effort, how much it's going to uh, require of those things for me to get you what you're looking for. So 
uh, some cases are a lot more expensive than others to get across the finish line. And is it conceivable that in a situation where I'm asking my attorney to take it on contingency that they may actually advance some expenses, or am I, it's going to be 100% on my shoulders? That's always a an issue on the uh, negotiating table. So I think it's worth bringing up if you're the client and you want, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, look, you know, to, from your standpoint as the client, you want your, your ideal is, let's say, look, I would like to see if you'll take on everything. and uh, Maybe a trade-off for how much percentage. Yeah, then. and then it's up to me to come back to you and say what I'm willing to do. And therein lies the negotiation, and it's either going to happen or it's not. When you're going to hire a lawyer, how do you do it? Is it by the hour? Is it by contingency? Lots of different choices. We're going to explore some more of those when we come back. We're also going to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize. And we're going to give you some great resources before we're done for your additional homework. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Listen up. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks for tuning into the show. Tell a friend about The Real Estate Guys. And uh, this week, you can tell your friends that need uh, legal representation about our show. Uh, We have attorney Jeff Lerman with us. Before we get back uh, to the interview, we're going to give you a chance to win something. That's right. It's time to play Real Estate Trivia. Here's how it works. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you a trivia question that has something to do with real estate. You're going to come up with the answer and then send it to us. And if you're fast to do that, you're going to win an autographed copy of Equity Happens, Building Life long wealth with real estate our book on real estate investing autographed and sent to you so make sure when you send in your guest to today's question you include your name and physical mailing address uh, we're gonna give away one copy of the person with the first right answer and then we take all the correct guesses for the week and have a drawing for a second book that way if you're listening on itunes or on our website after the radio broadcast you still have a chance to win and many people win that way so don't think because you're not listening on the radio you still can't win we love alternative media almost as much as alternative ways to pay your attorney so last week on the show uh we were talking uh about the new changes in accreditation and our trivia question had Nothing to do with that. Uh, Instead, here was a trivia question last week. Uh, What was the last country to build steam locomotives uh, on Earth? And the answer, China. was still building uh, steam locomotives, and to a small degree, actually do today. But a completely different question this week. Here we go. Cattle branding in the United States began in the state of Connecticut, but not on cattle. Here's what I want to know. What animals were the first required to be marked by their owners? The very practice of branding cattle started on a different animal. Which animal? Now, see, if I didn't throw in that it happened in Connecticut, it wouldn't really be real estate trivia, but it is now, so there you go. If you want to guess what animal was first marked by its owner as required uh, by law, then uh, send us your guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. That has nothing to do uh, either with the fact that we have uh, attorney Jeff Lerman with us uh, today, but it's good to have you back in the studio. Yeah, I get the real estate connection on that. Oh. All right, there you go. So uh, so we're talking now about uh, this idea of bringing in your attorney to help you out uh, on a contingency basis. If you win, they're going to win, and if not, and, and we talked about maybe sharing some of the costs and expenses. What are some of the other things you consider? So when I'm looking at a case for the potential of taking on a contingency, I will also look at the number of documents involved in the case. Example, we just got finished with a fairly complex a trial where there were literally thousands of 
documents and tens of thousands of pages of documents. Which supposedly you're going to read most of. Well, it's not just the reading. It's the huge document management is an incredibly uh, expensive and time-consuming aspect of a case. And if you contrast that with another case that we're involved with right now, where it's a multi-million dollar case, but there's probably less than 200 pages of documents involved. So that is a factor we take a look at. Uh, We'll look at how litigious we anticipate the defendant is uh, going to be. Is it somebody who we think is uh, more likely to respond quickly and positively to settlement discussions, or is this somebody who we expect we're going to have to go to the mat over this case on, and it's going to be a knockdown drag out all the way through trial? And that's something that we can get some sort of a feel for, or at least try to, uh, having been doing this for 30 plus years. So uh, you, you can you can look at a case and based on perhaps the, the facts of the case, but also who the other side is, the likelihood of it going to trial versus settling. Yeah. Well, again, example, a, a case we're involved with right now where one of the defendants and probably the lead defendant is uh, when we went online and started doing our investigation, we saw that this particular individual was uh, presently, is presently defending uh, dozens of lawsuits and being um, where there are tens of millions of dollars involved. And so so you want to check if the other party knows a lot of judges by first name, and that's a way. Exactly. <laughs> okay, exactly. all right, we're with you. Um, and by the way, that kind of, that kind of due diligence, we, which we do on every defendant we're going to go after, you know, that literally takes no more than five minutes, and it's free. It doesn't cost anything because of online docket searches and online legal searches. So we could usually get a pretty good quick idea of that. Uh, then we take a look at how likely it is that something is going to go all the way through trial. And again, that's going to really be a combination of looking at the facts, looking at the number of disputes, looking how, at str- how strong we think our case is, how much we're going after, Again, looking at the other side, maybe who they're represented by, that kind of thing. So it's Now, kind of- when you look out there at the legal landscape, and, and I don't know if you have any actual numbers on this, but your gut level, and how often does a, does a case actually get to court? The, there actually are good statistics on that. And the um, last time I looked, it's somewhere, somewhere between 95 and 97% of all complaints that get filed never go to trial. Okay. So you're talking about only about three, you know, three to five percent of all cases actually ever go to trial. Okay, so you're going to look at that obviously because that's a much bigger time commitment. You've got a lot of more work involved. Sure. And if you're taking this as an attorney on a contingency basis, you want to look at that. Sure. Okay. What else? But the the very important related st- statistic to what you just asked me. Yep. Is although maybe you only get three to five percent that actually go all the way to trial, a, a pretty significant percentage actually settle on the courthouse steps. And so uh, they get pretty close. And so you got to have your game ready and it takes just as much time. Well, it it takes probably 95% of the time you put into trying a case all takes place before, you know, before you hit the courthouse. You need to be as prepared for a full trial as you do for something that settles in the courthouse. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. So you're, uh, anything else that's, uh, that's a lot. Is Uh, so the other thing we look at and it's related question is how long do we think it's going to be until the payday? Is this something sometimes, you know, we get a case client comes in and says, you know what? I think that at this point, uh, based on what I know of my adversary, I think that all we really need here is a good, strong demand letter. Or if we get into a mediation that, we'll have some pretty productive settlement discussions. And if we agree with that, then that's a whole different analysis. If we're talking about a mediation that maybe we might get done in best case scenario within the next 60 days versus, you know, a couple of years away from now for, for a case that goes all the way through trial, that's going to factor in significantly to our willingness to get involved with the case and on what level. Now, I know that specifically your firm is one of the firms that will consider contingency, but not all firms are interested in that, right? How do you, what kind of lawyers am I, am I interested in talking to if I'm thinking this is the way to go for my case? Yeah, so anecdotally, because this is, uh, I'm not aware of any statistics on this. Uh, I just, from, again, having been in the business as long as I have and speaking to just a lot of my colleagues, I don't think there are a huge number of lawyers and firms that are that willing to take business cases on a contingency basis or a hybrid, which we're going to talk about in a second. Just because I think the challenge, if you're a bigger firm, is that they're usually 
these kind of decisions always go through a committee, and committees are notoriously conservative, understandably so, and focused on the bottom line. And so they are extremely reluctant to take cases on a contingency. Uh, There are also so many decision makers involved, it's difficult to get to just a consensus on those kind of cases. And the smaller firms like ours uh, often cannot afford to take uh, the business case uh, a significant business case on contingency. So, so I think for that particular niche, I don't think there there are too many other uh, lawyers that are willing to be as aggressive and entrepreneurial when looking at these cases as we are. All right. So uh, before we're done, we'll tell you how you can get a, a hold of Jeff if you have a case. We hope you don't. But if you do, uh, he's the guy to call. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to look at some of the other alternatives. So we spent a lot of time talking about contingency, which is one way to go, but it's not the only way to go. It's not just do I pay hourly or do they take it on contingency. There's some other hybrid forms we'll talk about when we return. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Hey, Russ, wake up. We've got a show to do. Huh? Oh, sorry. I was just having the most awesome dream. I found low-cost rental properties that cash flow in a strong job market with prices that didn't fall through the floor during this great recession. Wow, that is awesome. But, you know, you don't have to dream to find a market like that. We're going on a field trip there in just a few weeks. Really? Where are we going? To Dallas, Texas. It's a huge market with great infrastructure and lots of people. Prices are low and rents are strong. And with today's low interest rates, properties cash flow great. And did you know Dallas is projected in the top three of all job markets for 2010? Plus, Texas is the number one rated state for doing business. That's amazing. When is it? That's the best part. It's up to you. We have several dates scheduled, so you can go when it's convenient for your schedule. No matter which weekend you pick, there'll be tours of different submarkets and property types and meetings with local experts, including developers, agents, and property managers. That sounds great. Well, hurry up and register because space on field trips is always limited. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events or call 888-GUYS-RADIO for more information. That's realestateguysradio.com or 888-GUYS-RADIO. Hi, this is Bob Helms. They call me the godfather of real estate mostly because I've been investing longer than the average Joe, since 1957 to be exact. Back when I started out, investing was pretty simple. Even so, I made more than my fair share of mistakes. And I can't imagine getting into this game today without some help. That's why I'm inviting you to check out the Real Estate Guys Investor Mentoring Club. There are three locations to choose from, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, and Dallas, Texas. To find out when and where, just send an email to guys at realestateguysradio.com or use the feedback page on the website at realestateguysradio.com. Tell them the Godfather sent you. Hello, Robert Kiyosaki. Listen to the Real Estate Guys. They're wild and crazy, but they really know what they're talking about. And welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms, and we're talking today about working with your attorney on something other than a dollar-per-hour basis. We've spent the time here with Jeff Lerman talking about uh, an attorney who might take a case on contingency, but uh, that's kind of the two sides of it. There's definitely some in-between grounds. So, Jeff, let's talk about some of the, the hybrid uh, creative ways that you might uh take a case for somebody right so here is an option and there's you know really when you come right down to it the alternatives are really limited only by your own creativity Uh, but one thing to keep it relatively simple that we have done ourselves in the past and have had good success with and I think the client was also happy is a combination of a drastically reduced hourly fee combined with a percentage of the recovery based upon a sliding scale. So in other words, in this particular case that we took it on, if we recovered X dollars for the client, then our percentage was one figure, and the more we recovered, then the bigger the percentage to incentivize us. And uh, at that point, the client, obviously, as the pie gets bigger, then the client gets a bigger piece and everybody wins. So that is something that it's a good way to sort of uh, combine. Uh, it, it gave us the ability to take on a case we otherwise might not have been willing to help us 
hedge our risk, made it a lot easier for the client to get those bills every month. And You know, we talked about the idea of the attorney being more interested in the case if they take it on a contingency basis, being more willing to, you know, take the risk, if you will. But isn't the other also true that if the client has some real skin in the game, and even at reduced fees, that it's not like the client has nothing in the fight, right? If the attorney's fronting all the bills and working on a contingency, it might be better to have kind of a little of both. There's no question that if a client uh, has, as you say, skin in the game, their level, you're, you're never going to get a situation where you have a disinterested client who's not as responsive. But actually, you know, if they don't have anything in the case, then maybe they might not give you as much. You know, That's one thing. It's, it's an interesting point. That's one thing clients a lot of times don't really think about and because they don't they've never been down this road before but litigation takes an incredible amount of the client's attention and time i mean the time that you need to give me so that i can suck out of you all of that's in your head that's relevant to the case and get your input on the our responses to discovery and everything else i mean that's a that's a huge hidden cost uh, to the client that we, again, it's part of my job at the front end of the case to make sure you, you go into it with your eyes open and say, hey, listen, are you prepared to sit down for a deposition that may take, you know, a week to prepare for, depending on the case, and then another week to sit for, and are you willing to spend hours and hours and hours going through the written discovery response? I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot potentially involved. Boy, there sure is. Uh, okay, so uh, there's a hybrid alternative in there where perhaps uh, they're going to pay a reduced hourly fee, but maybe pay less in terms of a, a percentage or earn less in terms of percentage. What other kind of alternative structures have you seen? What is usually the case in, in, in litigation, and there's a saying in our business that a case never looks as good as when it first walks in the door because the more we as the lawyer find out about the case and bring to the client's attention because a lot of times the client doesn't appreciate the significance of a particular fact or they don't know the law or whatever so what usually happens is quite frankly the first time you and i sit down to talk about this we're just not going to have enough information to make an intelligent informed decision as to whether or not it makes sense for either of us to go one way or the other so a nice way to typically handle it is say, look, you know what, I think it's going to take us maybe uh, the first 30 days for us to get all the information, all the documents that we need in order for both of us to have a fair, informed discussion on this important decision. So why don't we do this? For the first, I'm just, again, using just general ideas. For the first 30 days, let's keep it on an hourly basis. And at the end of 30 days, what you will have as the client a much better idea of the strengths and weaknesses of your case. And what I will have is a much better idea as to my willingness to structure an alternative fee arrangement with you. That's a nice middle ground because, first of all, it's short-term. You know you're not looking at some blank check, open-ended. I don't know how much this thing is going to cost me. I'll give you a pretty realistic idea up front as to how long it's going to take for me to get to that point. And then uh, there's no obligation after that. I mean, there's never any ongoing obligation. You as the client always have the right to fire me. But there's a definite checkpoint at which we're going to sit down and then revisit it. And then you make a decision. And then, you know, at any point along the way, we can always build in safety uh, escape clauses for either side if if we want to revisit, revisit things. Well, I think one of the things that a potential client maybe doesn't grasp is they figure, well, hey, you know, the attorney's going to take it on contingency. It's like it's no skin off them. Well, you only have so many cases you can focus your time on. Your most limited resource is the amount of time you have in a day. And you can take 100 cases on contingency, right? You can probably have to pick and choose. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, so. we, we, uh, we are extremely, um, we, look, we got to be, uh, we have to be. It's a matter of our survival. Uh, we have to bring all that we have to bear, my decades of experience and also just the input of my other lawyers at my office. And we'll all take a real good hard look at your case to see if it's something that we feel uh, is appropriate, is an appropriate candidate, and if so, on, on what basis. And uh, if we, if a case makes sense, then we, you know, put exactly the same amount of effort. I mean, you know, 110% goes into every case we treat. We treat every case with the same level of um, aggressiveness and attention, regardless of, you know, what kind of arrangement we have. All right. If uh, you missed any part of today or uh, you'd just like some notes for your review, uh, Jeff had an article that uh, came out uh, a while back on how to hire a lawyer on a contingency basis. If you'd like a copy of that uh, free of charge, just send us an email to contingency at realestateguysradio.com, contingency at realestate 
guysradio.com. He'll bring up many of those points. The subtitle, I love this, How to Sue the Pants Off Somebody Without Losing Your Shirt. So there you go. Uh, that's uh, available. And also just uh, check out uh, Lerman Law's website at realestateinvestorlaw.com. Pretty easy uh, site to remember. If someone is, is really in the situation, Jeff, where they're thinking about this, how what would the review process look like for you to, to judge the merits of a case? All they got to do is give us a call and we'll set up a free case evaluation either over the phone or in person, whichever you prefer. In person's typically preferred by the client because if you're going to hire a lawyer, you really want the opportunity to make that face-to-face connection, look them yep. in the eye and you know get that get that feel. It's a very uh, high-touch person-oriented kind of a relationship. Um, and we'll sit with you and usually within, depending on case, of course, but usually within um, an hour or less, we can give you a, a pretty good idea as to whether or not your case is a good candidate and what alternatives might make some sense. All right. So uh, be sure to uh, head to the site, tell your friends, but not your enemies, about realestateinvestorlaw.com. you also find out there about uh, Jeff's better half, uh, Michelle Lerman, who is an absolutely fabulous estate attorney. So that's an area of our lives we sometimes don't uh, pay much attention to. A lot of good resources there on your site. Jeff, thanks so much for your uh, time today and being in the studio with us. Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure. There we go. Attorney Jeff Lerman. Good stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's always great stuff. I took a bunch of pages of notes. So I um, have a couple things. You guys talked about legal expense, obviously, and that's a huge thing to contemplate before you get ready to go into a uh, litigious situation. The other thing, Jeff, which you brought up, which I thought was really important, is what I call the PETA factor. You don't really realize how long it takes to look up those documents and sit through those depositions and look through every email, and you just everything gets scrutinized. And so really yeah, so think I hear. about that. The other part is the collection expense, because once you win and get the judgment, you still have to figure out how to collect. And then there's going to be an expense and a more PETA factor there. And then the other one that I think you really want to think about is the reputation expense, because the world is small. And if you're in business and you get the reputation as being somebody who sues, you better make sure that you were really wronged and you're not just looking for a windfall. You're not just looking for a quick buck. You're not looking to take uh, an opportunity out of something that went wrong for legitimate reasons and make accusations because they'll always throw things in there about fraud. I mean, you're really attacking somebody's reputation and their business. And in a lot of cases, their viability as a business or even, you know, their viability as in terms of uh, their uh, solvency as an individual. So, uh, and and don't forget that when you go to court, many of the uh, documents are public record. And, and so unless you settle this thing offline, which, of course, a lot of people want to, um, you're you're exposed there. And so, you know, what I, one of the things I really appreciate about Jeff is he's not the guy who is an alarmist who jumps into, oh, we're going to go get those suckers t- too hard. He really does make sure you've thought through what it's going to impact your life and your time and, and all of that, the PETA factor, before you just jump into something now once you've figured out hey it does make sense and it does make uh, merit I can't imagine you know someone better in your corner so but you do want to look at that it's not don't get mad right and don't get all emotional and and, and all that uh, there's a time for that and there's a time for the reality factor but what is this going to mean to the next two or three or five years of my life yeah so I have the uh, four eights I got contemplate which is what we're talking about think about it long and hard these are the four eights the four eights all right, right the four eights the second one is mediate if you cannot go to court, you can get into a mediation. Do that before you end up in court. Which your attorney can help you with. That's right. right. The third one is arbitrate, which means that you're going to sit down and it's kind of like but a, a court deal, but it's private. And let me guess, the fourth one is frustrate. Yeah, no. The, oh, the no. last one's litigate. Yeah. I mean, if you just can't, if you go through those other steps and you just, you feel like you deserve compensation, you deserve justice, you need to recover something that was taken and there is no other choice, go to court. But in my book, it is the absolute last place you want to go. It is so expensive. It is just such uh, it, it's such a drain on your life. It's, it's focus forward, focus positive, And really, it's just really speaks to the importance. The time to call your lawyer is on the front end. And, and because these guys have seen all the bad stuff on the back end. And when you go into a deal and everything's rosy and everything looks good and everything, you're thinking about all the positive outcomes. You're not thinking about all the hair that's in the deal. And these people live in the hairy side of things and they will point out stuff. You, you don't want to hear it, right? I mean, well, Russ, there's one, I, 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 Love your little list there, but there's one, seriously, there is one more eight that I think you, uh, as an essential, and I would stick it right between the first one, the uh, contemplate and the negotiate. second one, mediate. 
communicate. Oh, communicate. You and I, we've had, we've sat around this same table on another show. We've talked about how partnerships go wrong. And the biggest single thing that uh, makes a deal go off the rails and end up in court is the, uh, is the failure to communicate with your partner. Wow. Yeah, I got very, negotiate very in there, right? After communicate. Oh, yeah. I liked yeah. all your other negotiate. eights. So we got six eights Six now. eights. Maybe if we keep working, I will come up with eight, eight. eights. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we all agree that uh, court is a terrible place to go, but a great place to go and uh, see Jeff Lerman is the ninth Annual Investor Summit at Sea. Yeah, coming up in April of next year, we're going to uh, get on a cruise ship as we do uh, every year with a whole bunch of real estate investors, and you're invited. This is an extraordinary chance to uh, spend a week away from the office, away from all your normal life, and get in this cocoon of like-minded, forward-thinking, positive-oriented real estate investors, plus an amazing faculty. Uh, we are so excited about this next year's summit. They're always great because when you come away, you, you know, you get on the ship and you're a bunch of strangers and you're, you're there and you're trying to figure things out. And by the end of the week, you're friends, you've heard all kinds of uh, personal stories and uh, you get a chance to just get a lot of brains working on your problem. And, you know, it's just it, very interesting, especially lately, because we've had people from all over the world. I mean, last time there were five different countries represented, people from many different states, people that invest in all types of different uh, product types and have all types of investment backgrounds and all different types of net worths. And it's really interesting. You know, the newbies are just learning a ton from the people that have been around. The people that have been around are, are really uh, having a great time just staying refreshed and getting excited again and uh it's just it, i there's no way we always talk about it. there's no way for us to over hype this thing because we've never had anybody come away going wow that wasn't worth my time or money they've always said it's like it was what a great deal what a great bargain what a great time yeah and uh this next year we've got uh, not a seven-day cruise like uh most other folks but an eight-day cruise so an extra extra day in there uh, we're going to visit some beautiful parts of the world we're going to saint martin saint lucia and uh, saint kitts and nevis and uh, you can come with us go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and uh, click on summit so you can learn all about the ninth Annual Investor Summit at Sea. It is going to be extraordinary, and it won't be the same without you. Hey, a big thanks to uh, Jeff Lerman for uh, preparing and uh, being here today for uh, the show. Uh, you can find out more about uh, his practice at realestateinvestorlaw.com. Uh, thanks to our sponsors who make our show possible. Without them, we wouldn't be here. A big thanks to uh, Mark, our engineer, for getting all the sounds in the right order. And uh, to you, our listener, make sure you tell a friend to check out the Real Estate Guys, whether it's right here on the radio or uh, on iTunes or you can go right to our site at realestateguysradio.com tell a friend and spread the word next week on this show we're going to be talking about the power of a mentor how can you model success how can you glean experience from someone what's in it for you what's in it for them and how can you create shortcuts to success until then I'm your host Robert Helms go make some equity happen Banks are taking back lots of property these days, and they want to get rid of them fast. To do that, they sell them cheap. That's the good news. But they can't afford to sell you one at a time. That's the bad news. Now, here's the great news. You can get plugged into a steady source of affordable fixer-uppers to feed your real estate investing business without having to buy them by the dozen. Get a copy of the free report, Buying Value, Profiting from Distressed REO Properties. Send an email to wholesale at realestateguysradio.com or call our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 105. Get plugged into bargain properties all over the U.S. Call 888-510-6838, extension 105, or email wholesale at realestateguysradio.com.